I have to open with a quick funny story. Uh, tonight I saw Pastor Jim and he said, what are you teaching on? And I said, well, we're going to do something new. And he looked at me like, you know, big eyes. Like, no, it's, it's, it's okay. We usually uh, are in 2 Samuel or we uh, go through the Bible, but I'm going to take this opportunity tonight to do a topical study and we're going to be looking at faith through the perspective of Jesus it's not typical of Calvary, but it's, uh, we'll do it for a fill-in Wednesday, short notice. <laughs> so I'm going to open with an illustration uh, that's in line with uh, the topic, but first let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray that you would pour out your spirit upon this place tonight. God, that you would grant us wisdom, discernment, grant us understanding to, uh, to understand your word, and to apply it to our lives where applicable uh, in, in, in the uh, case of tonight's study. Lord, we just pray that you would grow us in your word and wash us in your word. We commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. So in 1853, when young Hudson Taylor was making his first voyage to China, his vessel was delayed because the wind stopped. A rapid current was carrying the ship towards some reefs, and the situation was becoming desperate. Even sailors using a longboat could not row the vessel out of the current, and they, the captain said, we've done all that we can do. And Taylor says, no, there's one thing that we haven't done yet. We haven't prayed. So there was three other believers on board, and he suggested that each retire to their cabin and pray for wind. So while they were at prayer, it says that he got confirmation from God that the, the wind was on its way. So he went up on top and went to the uh, first officer and said um, to let down the sail. The breeze was on its way. And, of course, the guy refused, being an unbeliever, no faith, until he saw the corner of the sail start to, to move, to stir. So he let it down, and it was filled with wind, and off they went. So there's two things here. There's, there's one that believed, and there's one that didn't believe, just exercising their, their faith. And it's just like Thomas as recorded in John 20, verse 25, where when Jesus had come back, the disciples had seen him and testified of that. And he said, unless I see the nail marks and unless I put my finger where the nails were and put my hand through the hole in his side, I won't believe it. But later, in a couple of verses later in 29, Jesus said, because you have seen me and have believed, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those that have not seen me and yet believe. So we're going to be looking through the Gospels tonight. We're going to be in Matthew and Mark, and we're going to look at about six instances of faith. And there's a faith demonstrated that Jesus marvels at. He's astonished at it. And then there's a faith that's somewhat weak, yet acceptable. And then there's a faith that gets a harsh rebuke, or actually a lack of faith. So we're going to, be, we're going to look around at a couple of scriptures, but... Uh, I'll have you turn to about probably six, so be prepared, be expecting that. Um, the Bible has a lot to say about faith, about what it is, but also what it's not. Now the uh, prosperity teachings or the word of faith movement has done some damage to the gospel, especially in these third world countries where uh, how are you supposed to preach to people that live in dirt floor huts about prosperity? to set them up for failure. It just doesn't work. 
not to mention here in the States how damaging it is. And they call it the word of faith. <laughs> well, faith is not the area in which you test the Lord. There's only one area that I know of where God says that you can test him, and that's in Malachi verses 3, 8 through 10, and that's regarding tithing. And since it applies to the study, I'm going to go ahead and read a couple of verses out of that. He says, Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And he says, test me in this, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough for it. I don't believe this is meant to be a challenge for us. You know, we're not supposed to challenge him with that, but it's more of an exhortation to just believe me. Believe me at my word. Trust me. Now, before we get too far into the text, I want to tell you a, a couple of quick stories. Um, seven years ago, when we moved to Forestville, it required a little stepping out of faith because um, just on the practical side, our house payment was going to jump by 700 bucks a month, and it was already pretty tight as it was. So... We know God's principles, we know what he said here, and we know that he's faithful to provide for our needs. So we didn't change a thing uh, regarding tithes, but just kept everything the same. And before we knew it, it was like there was more money than we had ever for our needs, for food, for whatever. And we got a chance to marvel at that, and praise God. Now I want to tell you one that's, that's even uh, more profound to me, and it's some of you can, can relate to it, and maybe some of you it'll be beyond relating to. But sometimes God works in huge ways to bless you or to build your faith, and other times to work in just the littlest way and still with huge results. And that was uh, 16 years ago, I believe it was, when we were young in our faith. Um, we were asked to host a children's ministry leader that was going to come up from L.A. or come up from, I think it was Costa Mesa, and they were going to come to our church and give us some ideas at Calvary Petaluma. Uh, just fresh ideas for the children's ministry. So Barb hosted it. And, and um, there was two couple or two people. One person went to a lady in the church. And this man specifically said he did not want to go to some big house. Said he wanted to, to go someplace that was small, very simple, uh, nothing fancy. And guess who fit that description? <laughs> our house. <laughs> Our house was uh, 750 square feet, two bedroom. And uh, so we said, yeah, we'll do it. And uh, a, a time later, Suzanne said, there's only one thing that, that's, that bothers me. She said, we don't have hardly any towels. She said, the ones that we do have holes in them. Now, I had just started a job for a city, and I took a huge pay cut just to get my foot in the door to, to year-round work because I was working seasonal. And uh, so it was tight. This time it was tight. So uh, I'm off to work doing my rounds as usual. And what do I come across out in the middle of nowhere just sitting on a curtain? What a stack of towels like that. <laughs> so <laughs> it was, uh, there was nobody around. It was like, it was just set out there. So I just said, thank you, God. You know? <laughs> well, I took it home. <laughs> I took it home and just... Uh, to find out that she had just prayed. So Jesus marveled at faith, as we'll see shortly, and some of that faith is not always exercised in the same way. 
Okay, so Hebrews 11.1 says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Now that's in regards to the promises of God. That's a different faith than we have um, for well, like the, the faith that we're going to look at tonight. Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please God, for he who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. And that's the King James Version. Um, Oswald Chambers summed up faith in this quote here, where he said, Faith for my deliverance is not faith in God. Faith means whether I'm delivered or not, I will stick to my belief that God is love and that there's only some things that are learned in a fiery furnace. So that's the faith that's different. We don't come to God with a a faith of surety that we're going to get healed. We know that he's able. We have every belief that he's able to heal, but it might not be God's will. You know, we can look at the martyrs in that case and say, because these martyrs who loved the Lord and they lost their lives, is it because Jesus didn't love them? No. So how true this is, and yet so many people get disillusioned and lose their faith right in the midst of a trial, and it might be because of you know, the loss of a spouse, the loss of a child, where how many people know people that used to believe in God, and then because of something like that, they're mad at God. Just when there should be a pressing in, there's a pulling away. God forbid any should ever try to, God, to judge God or judge his justice. And if so, I would highly recommend reading Job chapters 38 through 41. Must be the longest rebuke ever. It's four chapters worth. So here's just a sample uh, in chapter 40. It says, brace yourself like a man and I will question you and you shall answer me. Would you discredit my justice? Would you condemn me to justify yourself? you have an arm like God's and can your voice thunder like his then adorn yourself with glory and splendor and clothe yourself in honor and majesty no God is sovereign he's superior to all others he's omniscient he's all-powerful Romans 11:33 says oh the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God how unsearchable are his judgments and his paths beyond finding out or tracing out all right, I already warned you that we're going to be moving a lot, so why don't you turn to Matthew 8, and we'll get there shortly here. The first look is going to be at what Jesus calls great faith. I'll just read the passage, and then we'll expound on it a little bit. Verses 5 through 10. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering. Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes and that one come and he comes. I say to my servant, do this and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished and said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. So it's ironic here that this first case is not even one of the children of God by by heritage. He's not a a Jew. He's a Gentile. And uh, I will quote the King James once in a while. That's the Bible that I'm uh, most familiar with. And I... I liked some of the 
the uh, phraseology, the phrases. Here the King James says that the centurion was beseeching him. That's a pleading with him, whereas it says that he asked him. But he was uh, pleading for his servant. And this was kind of an unusual request as it was because um, under Roman law, if the servant or the slave was too ill to work, then the master had the right to kill him. And it was pretty much expected that he would. Now, Jesus wasn't formally even ministering to the Gentiles now, but he sees the compassion in this guy and says, yeah, I'll, I'll help you. And it was because of this man's spiritual understanding that Jesus, or his spiritual understanding of authority that Jesus marveled. It says he was astonished with his faith, so he says, go and it'll be done just as you desired it to be, just as you believed it would be. Now the centurion said, just say the word. You see any doubt there? No, he, he understood that Jesus could do that. And this is the kind of faith that he calls commendable. It's pleasing. Now we're going to look over at Matthew 15 at another account. This is of the Canaanite woman's faith. Matthew 15, verses 21 through 28. Are we there? Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Jesus did not answer a word, so his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying after us, crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and to toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted, and her daughter was healed from that very hour. So this is really the only case uh, that takes place here in this region. So commentators say that he specifically went there for this occasion. And uh, the Bible's not clear on how and why this woman knows him, but she knew him very well. She knew who he was because she called him Lord, Son of David. She was persistent too. When she was put off the first time, it says that she came before him and knelt down, said, Lord, help me. Now the, the term dogs that he uses, uh, it could have been used in a derogatory way, but it was not in this case because the word that he used actually meant little dogs and it was kind of diffusing. So she wouldn't have felt intimidated by it. And obviously she wasn't. She didn't argue her position, her standing in that sense. She didn't let pride come in and trip her up. She just asked Jesus to help. It was, Lord, help me, not, Lord, can you help me? So this is another uh, case where Jesus marveled at great faith. Now we're going to look at what's considered weak faith, and that's Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 34. This is the story of Jairus, the synagogue leader, and his daughter, and then also the, uh, the woman with the issue of blood. Verse 21, when Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him. 
My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was free from her suffering. At once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and you can, and you can ask, who touched me? Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. Now to start off with Jairus, he was a, a Jew and being in the synagogue, he was a, a well-versed Jew in the faith. It says that he fell at his feet and was pleading earnestly. Now nobody falls at Jesus' feet uh, that doesn't have faith. So he knew that Jesus could help. But it's interesting how this woman shows up uh, at this particular time as they're going to Jairus' house because his daughter was sick to the point of death. So I imagine he was very anxious at being stopped. But Jesus attended to the situation, and really it was a divine appointment. It was meant to be. Just as they were walking, the crowd grew, and people were pressing from all sides. Uh, the King James says they were thronging him. And it's here that this woman purposed to touch him, to touch his clothes. Now, having spent her livelihood on physicians, as it says there, she was desperate. Uh, but commentators say her faith was a little bit superstitious in that, for one, she secretly wanted to come in from behind and just touch him unnoticed. And secondly, she, um, in wanting to touch his clothes, there's a, a bit of a lucky charm, you know, a little bit of... Um, treating his clothes like, like magic, but not actually you know, from his power. So in verse 30, when Jesus turns around and said, who touched me? He knew who had touched her, um, but his disciples, their reaction of unbelief was kind of comical. It was kind of, are you kidding me? People are, are pressing you on all sides, but there's a difference between being bumped in the crowd and having somebody reach out in faith because he did feel the virtue, the power go out from him. And the, the text says that he looked around, he kept and continued looking around to see who this was. Well, he knew who it was. That's, uh, I'm not setting up an either or, but this is my own personal preference. I like where the King James says that he looked round about to see her who had touched him. So he called her out and not to embarrass her, but he called her out for a lot of different reasons. Mainly, uh, they were for her benefit, but for, for others as well. Luke's parallel account says that, that the woman, seeing she, she could not go unnoticed, fell trembling at his feet, and that she told in front of all the people why she had touched him and that she had been instantly healed. Can you imagine the, the testimony that this woman would have uh, right here in the crowd? Because... This was a pretty serious business that she had, this sickness, because it had 
pretty much robbed her of life. Guzik said that Jesus called her out so she would absolutely know for certainty that she was healed, so that she wouldn't live in fear about when this would happen again. And also he points out that she was ceremonially and socially unclean uh, in her situation and that she was divorced from her husband. She was ostracized from the temple. She couldn't go to the temple courts with her friends. Um, she couldn't she was treated basically as a leper. A leper. So to all of a sudden be healed and then testify of it was probably a pretty powerful scene. He called her out specifically so she would know that her faith had made her whole and not his clothing. And he also pointed it out because he didn't want her to think that she had stole a blessing and, and wouldn't be able to look at him face to face. Jesus also made it public so that Jairus, who was with him, would be uh, inspired or inspired, uh, encouraged despite his circumstances. And one more, Jesus called her out so that he could specifically give her this term of endearment, daughter, because he, he didn't call anybody else daughter. So however weak, Jesus encountered this to her faith. And just because of the incidents with uh, the superstition is why the faith was not accounted as being strong. And we'll finish the passage, the last two verses in Mark, chapter 5, 35 through 37. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. So this was uh, no accident that, that he would make Jairus wait till his daughter died. It just made uh, his faith even stronger in the end when Jesus raised her from the dead. And this is something that Jesus would later do with Lazarus in waiting four days on purpose so that he could reveal his glory. He encouraged Jairus not to fear amidst that bad news, just believe. So his, his uh, faith was a weak faith of sorts as well. He didn't have the same faith as the the other soldier, the Roman soldier, who knew that he could heal just with a word, but he asked that he would come and lay hands on her, but still it was very acceptable faith. Now, thirdly, we're going to look at a faith that's characterized by doubt and unbelief. It's uh, going to be Matthew 14, verses 28 through 31. This is the account where Jesus had walked out onto the water walked out onto the lake to meet the disciples who had been out all night in a storm. And they looked out and saw him walking, and they all freaked out thinking he was a ghost. And then he, he uh, encouraged them, don't worry, it's just me. So when Peter saw this, uh, well, we'll get into the text. Peter saw, and he said in verse 28, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? So not only does the Lord give encouragement and exhortation to believe, but there's also an admonishing for doubting. Guzik says on this passage as well that 
Peter's faith is remarkable, and it is because it says right there in the text that he actually walked out. There was, we don't know how far it was, but he walked close enough to Jesus where he could reach him, and then he let the circumstances, he let the wind, and the, I'm sure it was dark at that time. It was in the third watch of the morning or, or evening. So he was overtaken by doubt, and that's when he took his eyes off Jesus and began to sink. And he says it's a wonderful picture, too, of us and our faith and how we're up against a storm or circumstances. It can be a number of things. As long as we keep our eyes on Jesus, our faith remains strong, and we're, we're able to bear it up. But as soon as we take our eyes off Jesus, that's when you get just absolutely overwhelmed and in the circumstance. So that faith, I think it was like a light rebuke. The only harm done probably was Peter didn't understand a great spiritual truth. And uh, he was that kind of a guy at this point. I think it was more of a, uh, a, an exhortation, Peter, Peter, why? You know, you were almost there. You had it. So now we're going to look at, turn to Matthew 17. And we'll get there in just a moment. But uh, first, listen to James on doubt. This is in James 1.6, and it's regarding asking God for wisdom. He says, but when he asks, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he, all he does. So here, there's not a high regard for doubt. It's a faith killer. All right, now let's look at Matthew 17. Okay, here's the, the uh, faith that gets a, a harsh reprimand. Verse 14. When they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. Oh, unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of the boy, and he was healed from that moment. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, Why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, Because you have so little faith. I tell you the truth, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. And then there's actually one more verse that is omitted here. It says, uh, regarding this verse, that it says, but this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. And Shaver uh, and McGee's take on that is whether it's in there or not. Some manuscripts have it, some manuscripts don't. Um, it's, it's optional. So Now there's also a controversy as to who Jesus is rebuking here. It seems pretty clear, but in Luke's account, it says that the scribes were there, the teachers of the law, and they were arguing with the disciples. And some say that it's in regards to them not being able to heal the boy. And that's where Jesus comes in and says, who are you arguing with? And, um, but that's not recorded in this, this account here. I personally believe with the, the commentators that believe that Jesus is rebuking the disciples here because he had just spent, well, at this point, it's been two years that he's been with them, investing in them, teaching them, giving them the parables. And 
and they're still not getting it. There's spiritual truths that they're missing. Like when, when uh, they ask Jesus uh, if he wants some food, and he says, no, I have food that you don't know of. And they're like, where did he get food? You know, so there was some things that were evading them. Now Matthew 10.1 says that he had called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. Then he sent them out. And in verse 8 he says, Go and heal the sick, raise the dead, and cleanse the lepers, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. So they had the power. They had the ability to even raise the dead. And yet this, this one demon was too strong for them. So I think that's what draws the rebuke is because it was a lack of faith. They took their eyes. I, I'm not sure why. There was uh, some speculation as to maybe they were um, envious of the other disciples because Peter, James, and John got to go with Jesus up on the mount. So while they were up at the, at the transfiguration, the nine disciples were down. So maybe they were grumbling. Who knows? But they, they, they gave up their ability to heal. And so it seems to me that, that that's who he's rebuking. But you can go either way. So in Mark's parallel account in chapter 9, it says that the boy, or the, the boy's father told him how long this had been going on and said, if you, if you can, have pity on us. That's where Jesus said, if you can, well, if you can believe, all things are possible. So this is where this man said, uh, I do believe, help my unbelief. Now that's a, a fair statement, and that wasn't held, at, held against him as a rebellious disbelief. It was just honest. You know, his daughter, or I mean his uh, son, was, was in dire straits. This guy was uh, frantic. He says, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. So the Lord did. Instead of rebellion, he recognized it as uh, just a shortcoming. Now on that faith as small as a mustard seed, Guzik says that the faith that we must have has more to do with what kind of faith it is than, than how much faith. If you put your faith, or if you put a small amount of faith, as small as a mustard seed, you can do great things if that small amount is in a mighty God. So that uh, verse that said, uh, but this kind does not go out by prayer and fasting, whether it's in there or not, um, don't we fast and pray for things that we consider important? That's what we're called to do. For, for maybe, uh, well, it just shows God if there's something that is really important to you, you might fast for it. So, um, I say it's a win-win. Why not, fast, why not fast and pray for extreme faith, the kind that he says will move a mountain? Now, we may not be able to move a mountain, but if God sees us fasting and praying for strong faith, well, guess what? <laughs> all right, in closing, Romans 12.3 says that we have all been given a measure of faith. It will either be characterized by great faith, by weak faith, or by doubt. The examples that we've seen tonight were regarding healing, but believe that if we ask anything of God, it, it requires a faith that he is able. The Lord's exhortation in all of this is just believe. Believe that he can do it. Believe him at his word. Close there. Pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for these examples of a faith 
that is pleasing. Lord, we want to be those people that, that do exercise that faith in believing that nothing is too hard for the Lord, believing that you're, you're all-powerful, your promises are true. Lord, that whatever we ask, if we ask according to your will, we know that we have what we ask for. That's the key, Lord. If we ask according to your will, and we, we cannot know your perfect will, but know that you are, a, you are a loving God, your statutes are right, your judgments are true. We pray, Lord, that you would increase our faith, and we thank you for the times that you do, Lord, that you, you give us a glimpse, just a small glimpse of, of what you can do, Lord. We know that you are mighty, Lord, you're mighty to save, and thankful that that even being who you are, what is man, that you are mindful of him, that we, we are grateful. We commit our ways to you. We ask for your blessings in Jesus' name. Amen.